Welcome to this podcast from the Religion Media Centre, the only podcast to sit firmly in the space where religion and the media collide. We aim to ease that relationship, strengthen links that already exist, and help build new ones through chat, reflection, and comment. Thanks for listening. Welcome to today's Religion Media Centre briefing, which is on the subject of religious education. This might not be the top issue on everyone's minds at the moment, with schools closing down and facing closure because of faulty concrete in their construction. But it is a subject that we return to time and again during the academic year, and it's one that comes in and out of the headlines. And uh, today we're going to look at the results from this summer's A-level and GCSE uh, religious education exams and what they tell us about the way the subject is taught, understood and learned at the moment and the future of the subject. And for that we're joined by quite a large number of teachers, academics and others involved in religious education. So how this will work is that I'll ask some questions at the beginning of the people who are joining us as, as guests and panellists, and then by all means um, start a conversation afterwards about anything that has come up in their contribution. So I'm going to start with Deborah Weston, if I can. Deborah, you're the chair of the RE policy unit for um, naturally the REC and RE Today. And perhaps I can start, first of all, with by asking you to explain the statistics that came out of this year's results. When in headline terms, the number of candidates for A-level went down, um, GCSE was more or less stable, and it was a very popular subject. So let's start with um, A-level, first of all. Um, can you just give us the stats about how um, how big the decline in entry was this year? Okay, thank you very much, Ruth, and thank you for inviting me to take part in this today. Um, yes, uh, the religious studies A-level entries did decrease by 3.5% in England and 24% in Wales, but there's actually rather a different story um, over time in those two nations. So if you look at the, the stats over time, last five years, we're basically looking at a fairly stable trend, um, and, and, and that's obviously pleasing to see. Um, a very different uh, picture in Wales, um, and when you look at that, there's the, the overall trend um, is is quite a steep decline. So then, so in terms of actual sorry. kind of um, numbers, how many students took religious studies A level in England this year? Fourteen thousand six hundred and ninety in England this year, and fifteen thousand two hundred and ten the year before. So, uh, as I say, a fall this year. But if you look at it over a five-year period, it's a fairly stable figure. In Wales, though, uh, seven hundred and forty-eight this year, and if you look five years ago, there you'll see one thousand two hundred and seventy-six, or even in the previous year, just nine hundred and eighty-two. So that's a, it's a very large drop uh, for Wales and. Uh, and, and that's why we're talking about teacher recruitment. Um, and I'm sure Jennifer will have a lot to say about that, because, of course, if you haven't got teachers to teach A-level, um, you know, it's very difficult to put a non-specialist in, in place. Whereas with GCSE, with, with lots of support, you know, you can train somebody up to teach a GCSE who might not actually be a specialist. So that's a, that's a very, very worrying trend. Did it surprise you that religious studies is the seventh most popular subject at GCSE? Not at all, because if you look at the kind of issues that young people today are interested in, um, I think the top on the list is is things to do with the environment and also to do with their local communities and so on. You can see why uh, that would be something that young people would be would be choosing. 
and the other thing is the way that it complements their study of other subjects. I mean, as, a, as an A-level teacher myself of, of many years, I can tell you, I, I typically would get people choosing science and then choosing religious studies as a, as a third or even as a fourth option in the old days. Um, and, and that, as well as the people that would choose it straight or t choose a suite of humanities subjects. So it, yes, that, that is, is um, I think, the pattern. Thank you. Uh, can I move on to Jennifer Harding-Richards? Um, Jennifer, you're the Wales RE Hub lead. We'll come on to hubs and their uh, function and their, their, their place in religious education shortly. But just sticking with the, the facts to start with, the <clears throat> number of, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the number of A-level entries for religious education in Wales went down, as uh, Deborah's just explained. Um, from 982 to 748. Was that, in your view, a steep decline? And were you astonished by that or not surprised? First of all, thank you for uh, inviting me today. Apologies, I can't get my um, my camera to work. So um, apologies for that. I think it was probably a decline that we were expecting. It was a it was a very very steep decline, as as Deborah has has indicated. Um, we are in a time of flux in, in, in Wales with obviously the new curriculum and uh, the demands that the, the implementing the new curriculum and curriculum for Wales is having on teachers is, is significant. But, um, you know, our, our issues in Wales are no different, uh, presumably to the issues in England in that we do have a recruitment crisis here as well. And I think um, statistically the numbers for trainees uh, training to teach in Wales, um, for this academic year, 2023 to 2024, we're in single figures. Um, I think we're we're between five and six uh, trainees who have signed up to uh, to, to, to train to teach um, to teach RE at secondary level across uh, across the three across the training um, colleges in Wales. How do you explain that, Jennifer? Um, I think it's probably a, a, a cyclical. I think um, because our numbers are declining at A level, um, our short course numbers have all, also uh, decreased uh, significantly. Um, I think we've got um, COVID um, as part of the mix as well. In that, you know, religious studies, religious education, is is a, a subject that's probably incredibly difficult, or was incredibly difficult to teach over a Zoom call or a Teams call, um, in so much as pupils weren't able to engage and analyse and critically, um, you know, critically kind of get involved in the lesson. So that that probably had something to do with it as well. Um, in in Wales, we also have the Welsh Baccalaureate, uh, which is compulsory in schools as well. Um, so whereas in previous to 2015, a lot of our students opted for religious studies as a possibly a fourth or a fifth subject, um, the Welsh Baccalaureate is now compulsory And that doesn't include RE? Not uh, Baccalaureate in so much as the Baccalaureate that we've got kind of internationally or in England. It's it's uh, an overarching qualification which includes things like community working, uh, collaborative working, etc. So it's, it sits outside of the curriculum. Um, it, it doesn't involve academic subjects per se. So the curriculum that students in Wales follow for religious education, is it very Christian? And what kind of curriculum do you run? We're in uh, flux at the moment in Wales in that our primary school pupils and our year seven and eight pupils are now following the curriculum for Wales, uh, which was implemented in 2022. Our year nine and above students are still following the national curriculum. Um, and with the curriculum for Wales, schools have got the autonomy and subsidiarity to design their own curriculum according to their context and the needs of their pupils. What is included? What subjects do they study? 
in religious or religion values and ethics it would be up to the school to design their own curriculum so whilst it's still locally a locally determined uh, subject with um, the, the, the recognition that Christianity must be seen um, at the core um, it really is up to the schools uh, to design their own curriculum according to their context in line with legislation and their agreed syllabus was the move to change religious education into religion, value and ethics, that changing the title, was that because the numbers of students was uh, entering exams was declining and the number of uh, teachers going forward for training was also in decline? I think it was more of a, a, a of, of part of the whole government policy to, um, to kind of... Um, allow education to change and to become organic and to evolve with the changing society. So religion, values and ethics now becoming mandatory within the school curriculum um, and using the title religion, values and ethics, which was um, the result of uh, the result of a large consultation by Welsh Government, uh, really reflects, I think, the direction that the Welsh Government would like RE, RVE to go in, in that it's about uh, having an understanding of beliefs and practices and how they impact on behaviour. Thank you. Um, and just pick up your point there about uh, the shortage of specialist teachers. I mean, four in the whole of Wales was astonishing to me. Um, I don't know if it was to other people on the call. We have um, Heather Marshall from Edgehill University, who is a senior lecturer and religious education PGCE course leader. And we have Dr. Tim Hutchings from the University of Nottingham representing TRS UK. Um, Heather, four teachers in Wales. Mm. Does that surprise you? Is that a similar picture to what's going on in England? Yeah, it is a similar picture. So just chatting to colleagues, just, I mean, all the PGCE start this week, so you get a more of an accurate idea of numbers. Um, but yeah, just talking to colleagues, um, no universities met their targets for um, for RE. Um, I've got five, no six here, um, and we used to be kind of one of the leading providers. Um, so no, I think that picture is a is a national picture, to be honest. And so, how many teachers have you? Can you give us some idea how many uh, people are going forward to teach religious education this year? It's difficult to say, but I should imagine it's it's probably we're looking at under 100. Um, Deborah seems to, um, she's probably got, Miss Statistics has probably got um, um, statistics on, on that. So 16 confirmed have actually placed students. Wow. Okay. Uh, but the good news is that there's 223 oh, okay. waiting waiting in the wings, if you like, waiting right. for with with hopefully for passes of their degree courses. Oh, um, target target six five five. So we're if we get all of those, that would be wonderful. We'll still only be thirty four percent of our target, which is, which is very bad. Yeah. When you see that they're waiting for their degree passes, is this the um, problem with marking exams? Is it has been for us. Yeah, it has been for us. I've got two waiting. Um, currently to oh. get their degree um, transcripts, basically. Yeah. So, but if that isn't resolved in the next few weeks, they miss out on their place, which is fewer RE teachers. Is that the spin-off effect? I suppose so. I think um, admissions departments will probably look to try and mitigate that in some way, um, because um, obviously it's penalising the trainees. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's certainly something that we are grappling with at the moment, um, certainly post-grad. So Heather, what's your explanation as to why there are too few people coming forward to teach RE? 
I think there's a number of reasons, really. I think we're in economic decline, so it's quite difficult for um, career leavers to leave behind careers and to move into um, teaching a subject that offers no bursary or offers no financial incentive to do so. Um, I know I've lost one, I oh, know, sorry, two to geography that originally accepted a place on RE um, and then um, declined that and have moved over to geography, PGCE, because they get 27 grand to train. Um, so that's some. That's quite a major, major issue. Um, I think there's a bit of vilification of teaching and teaching uh, teachers as well. Um, nationally, I think um, there's a bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of um, narrative around teaching, which I think we are seeing some of the effects of as well. Um, and I think it's just not being held up as a, an attractive profession, potentially. Has it changed very much since you took on your role at Edge Hill? Have you noticed a decline in the years that you've been there? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So I think um, in the years where I started, which is probably about seven, seven years ago, I think we had courses of kind of 15 plus. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, there's been a big decline um across programs as well thank you uh, can i move to you dr tim hutchings from the university of nottingham you teach theology and religious studies at university is there a reluctance on behalf of students to go into teaching re i wonder if you've detected that not necessarily i think uh, a lot of my students i talk to every year are, are pretty interested in teaching as a career they're quite excited about it um but we are finding um so so deborah gave us some good news earlier about A-level numbers, at least in England, that have held up pretty pretty solidly over the last five years or so, um, with just a kind of very tiny decline. Um, the number of students enrolling in theology and religious studies degrees has been going down quite sharply for 10 years. Uh, so there's a an odd um, or, or disappointing different trajectory going on. The, the, the GCSE is very popular. Um, the A-level has held up pretty well, is, is quite popular, um, but fewer and fewer students are deciding to make that their main degree focus. Um, and as the degree numbers decline, that of course means there are fewer people out there who are graduating with a theology and religious studies degree who might then be interested in going into teaching. Uh, and I can um, feel all of the, the people who do teacher training are just about to jump in and remind me that obviously a degree in theology and religious studies is not required to go into uh, teacher training in this area. Um, but there might be a correlation, perhaps. Uh, and that, so that's a, that's a dangerous cycle. We've got fewer people taking degrees that would qualify them to be specialists in the subject. And so fewer people are going to teach the subject, which means more schools are having to rely on non-specialist teachers. Um, that's a that's a worrying, a worrying cycle, a worrying trend. I wonder what uh, impact it, it's having on the way that universities uh, run their courses in theology and religious studies. Do you feel that you have to make your courses more popular at 18 plus? Uh, are you offering more joint degrees? Are you changing your curriculum in the same way that we're seeing in schools? Yes. So what we've noticed at, uh, at my university, at least, is that the um, joint honours subjects, so that's particularly combining theology and religious studies with something else. Um, so at the University of Nottingham, you can combine with philosophy. That's quite common, but other universities have different combinations. Um, those are really taking off in numbers and are getting more and more popular, um, which kind of fits in with what some of the previous speakers have said, I think, about a lot of pupils and students being very interested in taking RE as their 
second or third or fourth option rather than the one one and only thing they want to do they want to combine religious studies with something else um which to be honest from a university perspective makes a lot of sense um religious studies is a multidisciplinary subject where you're learning philosophy and you're learning sociology and you're learning history obviously it makes sense to combine that with other things so you can do a bit more um but it, it does mean that a lot of our students are combining different degree programs um we find in so our, our, our talking about student recruitment for theology and religious studies degrees nationally is trending downwards and has been for about 10 years and really um so the, the british academy produced a report about this in 2019 and they put the the finger of blame very specifically on tuition fees um as soon as the the nine thousand pound tuition fee comes in um particularly theology and religious studies degrees started to to drop off um but we've got very full classes uh, and the reason for that is that we offer lots of modules that attract people from across the university um so there are lots of people in many different degree subjects across the university who want to do a theology and religious studies module as part of their course um so for example i teach a first year module on religion media and ethics and it brings in a bit of the philosophy of technology and a bit of sociology of digital media um and a bit of you know how is how is social media affecting the world around us and a bit about is journalism good for society um and i get students on that module from um business from science and technology all sorts of different areas who want to do a bit of that um so we may well find that degree programs in theology and religious studies are being pushed to to find more and more of that sort of module um that will be a kind of headlining opportunity for people to do a little bit of theology and religious studies in their degree thank you tim um and just picking up um the contribution earlier from from jennifer who was from the wales um re hub can i bring in claire clinton now director of the re hubs project um claire um Correct me if I'm wrong, but the RE Hubs project is there is a resource in every region of England and Wales to help teachers who are not specialists to teach RE. Is that correct? Yeah, and to help those who are specialists as well. So we want to um, affect positive change um, for everybody who's in our RE, RVE uh, religion, values and ethics. And we put another acronym in there, Ruth, which I know can be tricky, uh, which is religion and worldviews. So we have these sort of three shorthands that we talk about all the time. But ultimately, RE Hubs, uh, a project that was being set up this last year, uh, was done its first year, um, is to try and help everybody to provide high quality learning. And of course, that means improving connections. That does, of course, improve teacher confidence. We want to do that. But also communication. So that Tim's already said where we're multi-religious, multi-disciplined, um, you know, multi-worldviewed in that sense. You know, all of that can be quite tricky to, to navigate your path through. And so we hopefully will be an information exchange that will help teachers, whether they're specialists or non-specialists, to find the good that is in our world. Just tell me what's on your, your website for each individual region. What resources do you have? Because I think they're of interest to journalists as well on the call. Yes. So uh, we have a news. Um, we have a, a news pod that takes you into 
podcasts as well as up-to-date news and we just highlight things on there all the time so that's always changing and always being added to um we also have um where we run monthly uh, training for places of interest so that could be a place of worship uh, it could be a museum it could be an education center and um or a school speaker and so we have monthly free training for anybody in England and Wales who wants to work with schools. And we feel this is a really important foundation. Um, you know, in some LAs, uh, some standing advisory councils for religious education provide this sort of training, but lots of places don't. And so we felt that was something that we could do that would help our world <laughs> of RE, RBE and religion and worldviews. So, uh, we do that. And so you can find people and places who have gone through our training uh, and have signed up to a way of acting within schools and speaking with pupils and agreed principles. Uh, but also you can find lots of free resources on there. You can find links to universities and programmes that Tim and TRS, uh, Theology and Religious Studies Association, puts on and works with schools. Um, you can find things on Holocaust education. I was uploading um, a link to some films, the Jewish film uh, organization yesterday in that. Uh, there is so much on there, Ruth. Um, I hope have a look yeah, at yeah. Just to, to ask you, Claire, who is funding this project? Is it a Department of Education project? So at present, it's being funded by a number of um charities within um the sort of um world of re um so charitable foundations um and ultimately we need uh long-term uh thought through funding so we've we've got that at present and we're looking and working with funders and we're looking to government as well ruth so you're absolutely right, right. No, you you mentioned it. It's been mentioned before. Um, this phrase, religion and worldviews, um, and I, I wonder if I could turn next to Manjit Kaur. Manjit, you're the chair of Coventry and Warwickshire Sacre, and I should uh, give it a shout out. Uh, very much involved in our Creating Connections event in Coventry, which is coming up next month. Um, and Adam Robertson, if you're there, Adam, from uh, the Oak National Academy. Um, and both of you are involved in curriculum planning and development. Um, Manjit, could I ask you to explain, um, with, with reference to your own area of, of, of work in Coventry and Warwickshire, how is the religious education curriculum formed in a particular area? Who has the say as to what it should be included? And are there any rules that are set out nationally that govern its formation? Um, I'm going to go back a little bit to go forward. Um, RE is not part of the national curriculum. It's part of the basic curriculum. And for me, that is a bit of an issue um, because I think it sort of changes its status in the, the minds of um the educational world and particularly decision makers. Now, the RE curriculum is locally determined. There are four groups that are part of SACRE, the teachers, associations, local authority, um, faith groups, including other Christian denominations and the Church of England. And in the case of Coventry and Warwickshire, that's worked very well. 
we we are reviewing our agreed syllabus and actually we started off with looking at our census information what do our children who are children likely to interact with and so that we've sort of awareness of what resources are available to us in addition to that uh, we feel we've got a moral um, duty as well as um, sort of a legal duty in terms of education that we, whatever our RE agreed syllabus does, it prepares our children for their future as an adult and their future as an adult is in the global world. The global world is many religions, um, many cultures, many languages, it's the whole kit and caboodle. I think RE probably is the only subject that involves children engaging with different points of view right from day one, I think it involves higher order skills, which is why, um, you know, um, I, I would push it in any direction. Now, as I said, it's locally determined. And for us, we listen to our pupils. One of the things our university students said, their reason for doing um, our studying RE at A level, uh, was the ethics side and the impact of religious education on day-to-day -day life from when your holidays are for universities and schools to why people do things, to sayings. So a lot of our agreed syllabus is written under the umbrella of peace and reconciliation because that is what Coventry and Warwickshire sit under, uh, Coventry Cathedral. And looking at it, not just from a Christian perspective, but from the other faith groups. My colleague, Jenny, who's our RE facilitator, actually started by asking each faith group to make a list of what they felt was important and should be in the agreed syllabus from their point of view, not promising that it would be. Our teachers, obviously, from the pedagogy point of view, and is actually putting the two things together, and it seems to be working. I'm looking forward to seeing it released and actually... Um, in practice, our faith groups, bless them, of providing us with visits, visitors, films uh, from their perspectives. So that will give the worldview. Um, to go on to the, uh, the, the next issue, sort of, um, we are in a scenario, and we have been for 10 years. I think Charles Clark's words at the Nassica conference about being near anarchy in education seems to apply to this particular area. Um, our schools have become academies, I'm referring to secondary schools more so than primary, which means they decide what RE they're going to do uh, as part of their funding agreement. We're fortunate in Coventry that our um, academies decided to stay with us because we provided an agreed syllabus, lesson plans and so forth. Um, but I'd have to say uh, we're being a little bit more assertive by writing to each academy CEO and saying, look, this is what's available. Uh, just think of everything you can get as a freebie in terms of an inset uh, resource and opportunity to interact. Now, the other thing um, I sort of don't hear enough of is the impact RE has on English results or even the other foundation subject results that make a difference to Progress 8. Uh, and that would be one, something I'd be wanting to look at. And those of you that are greater experts than me, um, you know, advice in that area would be great. For us, COVID uh, actually was quite an eye-opener in terms of what's happening in Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 5, uh, which are the precursors to GCSE. 
Now, some schools went down the route where um, they were studying GCSE, RE in year eight and year nine, which seems a bit too early because you've got enough content. Um, to our young teachers saying, we're very keen to teach RE, but we don't know where to go to get whatever. And it's quite interesting. Uh, I've discovered Twitter and uh, Facebook and so forth and started to talk to RE teachers. And it's it's interesting that they're picking out that some of their RE agreed syllabuses are too long-winded. Um, they haven't got enough um, experience of planning and creating um, schemes of work that are locally based or issue based. And all those things require training. Uh, and during COVID, um, we sort of worked out that our PGCE students, our NQTs and our RQTs would be in difficulty because they weren't in schools uh, enough, nothing to do with them. So we did lots and lots of in-service training. That in itself has actually helped develop a relationship with those groups of teachers, and we hope to pick it up uh, going forward. So sort of mm. just to finish, I'd say RE is locally determined. We have a SACRE with four groups. Um, it usually have a five-year review, which uh, sort of worries me a little bit because somebody starting in year one, by the time they've got to year five, they could technically be on another R uh, RE agreed syllabus. All those issues need perhaps resolving. I think we need assertive communication with not just strategic bodies, but bodies that embed RE. So that RE isn't just a separate subject. I'm very primary orientated myself. So um, it's quite interesting to see single subjects and hear about how single subjects are taught in secondary. And to actually help um, our youngsters understand the connection between one subject and the other and its absolute impact. I was talking to some heads, uh, and particularly the younger ones, who do not receive, as far as I understand, much training in terms of RE and collective worship uh, as part of their MPQH. So how are they supposed to know what to do and actually advise their young teachers? So I, I think there's quite a lot there. I'm not sure I've answered your question. Um, you have explained it, and it's it's very complex. So I'm picking up what you said that uh, Charles Clark's quote that it's anarchy out there, and nobody knows it. In fact, what's going on in the mm -hmm. academies with with the curriculum, which is uh, you know interesting in itself. Uh, but perhaps I could bring in Ed Paulson. Um, you, I know you have many titles there. So you are an RE advisor and consultant. Just help me out here. You're also deputy director of the RE Council. Is that right as well? Deputy Deputy Chair of the Roots Education Council Deputy of England and Wales, yeah. Right, lovely. Wow. <laughs> well, thank, thank you for, for joining. So probably everything that Manjit said, you know, I could see lots of nods going on there. But could, could I ask you uh, uh, another question springing out of what Manjit said, which is this legal framework in which religious education is placed? Um, how compulsory is compulsory when it comes to religious education in schools? Oh, um, that word compulsory always sends a bit of a shiver, doesn't it? You've got to do it. Um, and um, so, I mean, ARI's been compulsory since the 1944 Education Act. And as Manjit said, it sits outside the national curriculum, um, which is a, a bit of an odd place to be, given that every other subject that we can think of is inside the national curriculum, perhaps apart from sex education. Um, and so, um, I mean, 
um, Michael Gove is on the record as saying that he thought that RE being compulsory would would insulate it from it the problems which arose from the, the English baccalaureate being introduced in 2015. Sadly, what we saw is that geography and history as humanities subjects were put into that basket and RE religious studies left out because it's compulsory, therefore it didn't need that support. And I'm afraid we've seen a catastrophic drop in the number of students studying religious studies, religious education at, GC, at, at the, between four, the years of 14 and 16 since that happened. So I think um, compulsory means, well, it's got to be there, but schools are I wouldn't want to be a secondary head teacher. Um, the competi competition for time is extraordinary. And I think along with many other subjects, if you talk to all the art subjects in particular, we're all feeling squeezed and including subjects like design technology and you know, across the piece. Um, so Ari isn't the only subject. Been, been... But um, actually it being compulsory well does that mean you know a less than a week that's what it should mean Manjit talked there about the agreed syllabus and essentially agreed syllabuses which local authorities have to produce for maintained schools not for academies those almost universally say Ari should be an hour a week now would compulsory you know Deborah's got examples of schools where Ari's compulsory and they're doing you know a lesson or two a term if that and so you know that that just that uh, th there's a phrase which Ofsted use, which they talk about RE needing to have the, the the curriculum needs to have similar breadth and ambition in all schools, in academy school, in academized schools, equivalent to the local authority expectation that Manjit has set out. Now, many academies, in particular, are not playing that game, and. So this leads to work that the Religious Education Council has been doing recently, really important work to establish a national standard, because currently other subjects which have a national curriculum have a statement and an expectation, and they can be tied to that. That does not exist within RE. And so we're very keen to ensure that actually we can have a, a clear statement that is signed up to by all schools, and this needs DfE approval, and, and, and we are working in that direction, slowly. Um, and Deborah could probably say a bit more about that here, if you, if you were interested. Yes, yeah, so we're, uh, the RE Council has been working on uh, on this this principle from uh, for some time, and it links with the World Views Project. I put um, I put a link in the chat to all the different information that the RE Council has has collected together from academic journal to a bibliography to work with teachers and so on. So I put that the link in the chat about that. And then what's arisen out of that is, a, is, is the idea of working towards a national standard in RE that, that the big academy trusts that would be recommended to SACRAES and that, you know, potentially Oak National Academy would want to look at as well. And um, and hopefully also uh, supported by the DfE. So that that's a piece of work that we're we're engaged in at the moment. And hopefully you'll hear more about that later in the year. Thank you, and thank you to everyone. We've had a contributions from all the panelists, and I'd like to encourage you to discuss this one with another now. And for people on the call who have questions to any of the panelists, please put it 
uh, your questions in the chat box. I, I think we, I mean, we come across in our work people who quite naturally, because we're the Religion Media Centre, say religion is important, religious literacy is important, um, it hasn't disappeared, um, and it should be taken seriously by businesses as well as schools, all avenues of society. So how do you effect that change? How do you defend religious education in the school curriculum and build on what's there? Perhaps just put that question out to the first taker and ask you to discuss it amongst yourselves? Yeah, I mean, this is a really important question and, and I think sometimes overlooked in, in, in government circles. So we know, don't we, that if you think about the subject of religious education, it's important in all sorts of fields that pupils have a good knowledge and understanding of both religious and non-religious worldviews. Um, I'll put in the chat later some promotional films where we've got people like Lord Billamoria talking about the, the importance for him of people coming into business, of understanding different people's religions and beliefs. And he regards it as an essential skill and talks passionately about that. Likewise, John de Bono talks about working in the legal profession uh, and how he his uh, studies of, of, of religious, religious studies uh, at school really helped him in, in the work that he's doing. Uh, so I, I think that's really important. Um, and I think parents as well, if you look at the, at the evidence that we've collected from parents, parents are, are really supportive of their children learning about uh, religious and non-religious worldviews. Uh, and this is a myth that goes out there that people don't care about religious education. When you ask the parents, they say they want their children to learn about it. And the percentages of, that say that are very, very significant. But Deborah, do they say it because they think that religious education is about morals and bringing up good, upright citizens uh, in society? Or is there something deeper than that? So I'm glad you asked the question because this was a Cullen St. Gabriel's uh, survey that went out to Savanta. Uh, and uh, what we did was we, we were looking at some of the surveys that had done in the past and worked out that actually some of the reasons why we were getting some quite strange answers was because the questions didn't actually define what we meant by religious and non-religious worldviews or indeed what we meant by religious education or religious studies. So we started the survey. Everybody that got asked questions on the survey had, first of all, an explanation about what we mean by the question and then we're asked their opinion. I was going to mention that survey that Deborah's just mentioned because it was nearly 70% and on some questions only 70%. Once parents understood the content of what we teach and what we're doing in schools, were really positive about it. And I was just going to say something about, um, I suppose, my context, which is similar to Deborah's. We we have boroughs quite near each other. Uh, in fact, we sort of tag team each other along the River Thames, really. But uh, in London, uh, Newham is a very, very diverse borough. And RE, I've been the RE advisor here for over 18 years. And religion and worldviews, we've, we've used that term for a long, long time. It's not a new term to us here because we had people who were not religious but we're very passionate about children learning about different beliefs and learning and thinking through value systems and that time needed to be given to this. And I think there's a sort of, Tim talked about a chicken and an egg. And I, I think if, if we're starting well in early years, around religion and worldviews about, and I've, I've put in the chat what that means to me, it's about how you see and interpret the world, the values, the decisions that you make, but also understanding 
other people's views as well. So it's not just you centric, but it's looking outward as well. And I think if that is happening from the age of three and four, as we have in Newham, because we provide materials for schools to do that, all the way through, we we end providing materials um, at uh, sort of A level, well, general RE, we provide some things for, and we do some things for general, I suppose, key stage four, that GCSE time, if pupils are not taking it. But we have huge numbers of, of, of schools, I was looking back um, on exam results and you know we regularly have 18 to 20 secondary schools sitting um, GCSE some of that compulsory some of that optional but our optional numbers are really really high um, and I think that's because they're really aware that not everybody is like them I grew up on the Isle of Wight and most people looked like me and didn't go to a religious building like my family you know um very secular and and therefore religion was interesting but it wasn't part of life for here uh where where i'm situated where i'm talking from today it affects everything it affects the music that you listen to the clothes that you wear where you go where you won't go the views that you have on all sorts of different things and each family has very different views Picking up your point about views, and, and you mentioned worldviews again there, isn't the, the key to all of this that Britain is a more secular society and that the people in charge of um, organising timetables or persuading children to do A-levels or organising the way religious education is done in schools, so the, the heads of the schools um, discredit religious education, don't give it the importance that it deserves because Britain is a secular society and no one believes that stuff anymore. Is there any evidence for that? I think this is a, a myth. I mean, but Claire, hopefully you'll, you'll back me up on this and several other people on the call that, that work as advisors will say so. I have never met a head teacher that says that they don't do religious education because they don't think it's important. But I've met plenty of head teachers who say, I'm really sorry, I'm very supportive of this subject. I think the children need this subject, but it doesn't count in the EBAC. I've got you know, problems in terms of getting the, making sure the standards are right in those subjects because they're the ones that count, they're, they're the ones that uh, are going to be looked at. Um, and so it's not they don't think it's important. Uh, I've, I'd, I've never met one yet. Um, maybe some people have. I mean, I, I love listening to um, Claire talking about her teachers and her school context because Newham is very different to Devon. And looking at the stats that Deborah's put together for GCSE, it's very clear that the school, that the areas of the country where pupils are not achieving nearly as highly are more areas like mine, which are rural, which look quite white monolithic, although that is changing, um, excitingly. Um, and, you know, whereas um, I've got a former pupil who teaches in South London and in 2020, the, her students were beating down her door saying, we've got to decolonize this curriculum. My parents and pupils are very, you know, they, they're more like the other white that Claire just described, where religion is really, you know, it's a, it, what is it? It, it, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not a feature in many people's lives. And so we've got to remember we've got many different Britons here. We've got many different societies. We want to prepare our children for life in modern Britain, but also in the wider world. And so the job that my teachers have to do 
is to really enthuse and to to get informed about these topics because they've got to be the motor for that whereas in an area like claire's describing in in newham the pupils and the families are coming saying we need to study this we want this on the curriculum whereas my staff they're often not well informed about the subject they're often very anxious about teaching it they know they'll make mistakes and they don't want to and so they avoid it and it gets dropped on the curriculum because it's hard to find teachers with confidence and experience and so we've actually got very many different contexts here that we need to remember and it's that makes that means the subject is it, it is hugely contextual in a way that many other subjects really yeah. are I was going to agree with Deborah. I haven't met a head teacher who isn't um, interested in uh, religious education because the impact on day-to-day -day living in school is very high. Um, from religious dress and what's happening um, to swimming, PE, do, do they take the gut off? Do, uh, you know, what, what's it, Jiz, uh, is it... Um, it's not religious, it's not jewellery, it's uh, an artefact to uh, meals at school. The Greek Orthodox community were telling me how they fast on Wednesdays and I think it's Wednesdays and Fridays. And fasting doesn't mean not eating, it means not eating meat. All those things are part and parcel of each pupil's day in, the, uh, day in their life of their school, wherever they are. Uh, and uh, the point that Ed's making, we're educating our children for the future, for that global family. Our children are no longer applying for jobs and competing with Fred Bloggs next door. It could be Fred Bloggs uh, across the world. And if our children aren't prepared uh, because they've either increased their subject knowledge or opportunity to interact uh, with other faiths, understand religion, have the subject knowledge, uh, what are we doing? And secondly, Ari is, a, you know, and particularly, I strongly suspect this is more from a secondary school perspective, is that Ari isn't a single subject on its own. Its impact on the others is quite phenomenal. Um, I'd love to sort of have, you know, time to do nothing else but look at data, because I think you'll find that the children who do well in RE are also the ones that get the highest English grades, and not just that, but the highest geography and history. Um context is important i'm just repeating what ed, ed, ed is saying but in, in, in if our head teachers don't get enough training in this area and if charles clarks is right about anarchy in the last 10 years they've had the worst training ever uh, our teachers don't get enough training in re so the, you put the two things together uh, yeah, um, and you have the situation that we're in now and we yeah. won't pay the price we're you know, you know i'm thinking i'm an old bag there i've had my time but I'd like my nieces and nephews, my family, the children I've interacted with to know how to interact. They don't have to agree or disagree, mm. but to know how to use the information they've got in an appropriate way. So I, I was really interested in what uh, Claire mentioned previously about using the language of religion and worldviews in a really diverse context. Uh, I've been doing research at my university this year, talking to teachers around the country who are using um, well, teachers of RE around the country, some of whom have been very enthusiastic about the religion and worldviews approach, and some of whom are, are more sceptical. Um, but something I've heard from a number of places is that the the new approach of religion and worldviews plays really well in the kind of monolithic white and rural contexts that Ed was talking about just then. Um, for so it, it operates in just the, the, the exact reverse of what Claire has just been telling us. Um, 
uh, so teachers were saying that um, they might have a class where actually nobody identifies openly as being religious uh, and none, no one in the class knows anybody else who identifies openly as being religious either. And they can't see the point of being made to sit for an hour a week to hear Bible stories and be told that Christianity matters. Um, but here you've got a new approach to RE that actually says, well, what is your perspective on these big questions? And what do you think about the environment? Um, that's really interesting. Well, where did that idea come from? That's a worldview. That's not just common sense. That's a particular understanding. You've got an understanding, just as these religious people we've also been reading about have got an understanding. Um, so it's an approach to RE that challenges every people, whatever their background, whatever their experience, to see that actually they have some really interesting ideas about the world that can also be critiqued or, or analysed or thought about. Um, and that has, a, has been an opening to make RE come alive in really different kinds of school contexts. Um, which I found what, very encouraging to hear. What makes it different or better than what uh, has been decided to uh, happen in Wales, where they're doing religion, values, and ethics? Doesn't religion, values, and ethics—you kind of know what it, what it's, what it's about. It does what it says on the tin. Religion and worldviews is quite difficult to get your head around, isn't it? it doesn't it just mean religion and secular ideas like humanism? Um, no, it does not just mean that. Um, so I, I'm not sure that that's, that's so much of a problem, to be honest. I, I did an A-level in things like organic chemistry. Um, I don't think if you'd pinned me down as a primary school kid and said, define organic chemistry, that I would have been able to come up with a particularly clear understanding. That's why I did the subject. And then at the end, I could have told you a whole bunch of stuff about chemistry. Um, that's how that's how school works. Um, the The... The pitch for religion and worldviews, I think, is is fairly straightforward. You're looking at how people understand and interpret and respond to the world. Um, you're starting with people and real people's stories. Um, you're going into organized or institutional complex understandings of reality that might be proposed by philosophers or religious organizations or sacred texts. Um, and you're drawing in that on religious and non-religious perspectives. Um, I, I don't think it's difficult to make that pitch to students and parents. It may take a little while to explain what the subject is and why it's worthwhile, but that's true for every subject in the curriculum. I don't think that that's a particular concern. Um, it would, and it it is an argument that's important to make as well. Um, RE needs to, uh, and I think RE teachers understand this very clearly. Uh, we're well beyond the point of being able to say, uh, everyone knows the Bible's important, right? Good, give it an hour a week. Um, that's not the world that we live in anymore, and it hasn't been since 1944. Um, so that we need teachers to and schools to make that case to say, look, this is an important subject. It belongs in the curriculum, and here's what you're going to do in that subject. Um, and I think that's something to embrace rather than be worried about. I think the conversation might have moved on a little bit, but um, I was just thinking um, about the context in Wales, and I think um, you know, rebranding the subject within Wales is very much in line with the national mission that we've got within Wales of, of kind of improving education um, and, and really kind of honing in and, and, and questioning what are those experiences, the knowledge and the skills 
um, that we want our young people to have for employment, for lifelong learning um, and for active citizenship. And as part of the curriculum for Wales, um, the kind of the driver behind the curriculum for Wales are, are, are what we call the four purposes of, of education. And so um, schools, when they're designing their curriculum, are, are really designing their curriculum in line with those four purposes, uh, which are to ensure that our pupils, our learners become ambitious and capable learners. Um, enterprising learners, creative learners, healthy and confident, and then not in any particular order, ethical and informed citizens. And of course, RVE and making RVE mandatory means that it can really contribute to that, that purpose of supporting our learners to become ethical and informed citizens, but also ethically informed citizens. So we very much adopted that organic and that evolutionary um, approach, I suppose, to developing um, you know, and, and moving with, our, with the way that society is changing to, to, to multi-diverse and multi-secular. Multi-secular, I like it. Um, Deborah, can I give the last word to you? Just tell us a, a bit more about your asks, your uh, what you're urging the government to do in your campaign, uh, which is to create some kind of national strategic, uh, am I right here, um, benchmark by which religious education should um, operate within schools. Is that right? So we're asking for the government to fund a, a, a thorough and comprehensive national plan for the, for the subject. And within that national plan, of course, will sit uh, the support for bursaries for, for teachers. We've talked about the problems with that. Support proper training for, for teachers, uh, especially primary teachers who get between 0 and 3 hours of training in, in their initial teacher education. Um, it will support education in religion and worldview so people know what that's all about and so on. Um, because religious education has received no funding from central government uh, for the last five years, not a, not a single penny. So that's what the national plan is all about. Uh, and what will sit in, inside that as well, of course, will be a, a national standard uh, as we make progress with that. Well, thank you. Thank you all very much indeed for your time contributing to the discussion today. Um, and uh, no doubt we'll return to it later in the school year. And if you're teaching, good luck with your building projects, wherever they happen to be. Thank you. The Religion Media Centre is an impartial and independent organisation providing an expert resource for the media and other interested parties to help the reporting and understanding of religion and beliefs. You can find news, fact sheets, briefings and lots more on the website at religionmediacentre.org.uk where you can also sign up for a daily roundup of stories about religion and belief from the UK and around the world straight to your inbox. If you'd like to support the podcast and the work we do, contributions are very welcome. Thank you if you do, have or will. It all helps us continue to tell the stories that matter and it's hugely appreciated.